Okay, we're going to talk today about the church uh, and the church, how it's changing. Uh, the landscape of church world is changing. Church world is, like I just said three times in a row, changing. Uh, by every measurable statistic, church attendance overall in the West is declining. Sad. Uh, now, there's individual churches that are growing, and we see these in different places, and there's places like Pacific City Church that are popping up, and new people are coming to faith in Christ, and they're joining up and getting involved in places like this, but overall, the trend lines are very negative. And not only uh, is church attendance in decline, but there's actually fewer people in the United States that identify as Christian. In fact, they, even can, they wouldn't even consider themselves nominally connected to Christianity. The fastest growing segment in America uh, religious, uh, is uh, no religious opinion at all. When people are surveyed, they say, I have no particular religion. About one in eight Americans now say that. And so now that not only is the church as an institution in America in decline, but institutions in general are in decline. I don't know if you realize this, but institutions are generally in decline. So we think about government. There's a lot of uh, skepticism and suspicion around government. You think of the suspicion towards the president or towards the Supreme Court and, or some of your local representatives. Or, um, you, know, you think about our skepticism towards media. Um, if I have to hear the term mainstream media one more time, uh, like there's skepticism. That, that, that's something who's, someone who's skeptical to media would say, it's a mainstream media. Uh, we're skeptical about big business. Uh, I'm skeptical of spectrum, internet, and cable. The longer I'm a customer, the more my, my cost goes up, my price goes up. So I don't really, uh, yeah, I don't know why that is, but it happens. So, um, and so, yeah, so we're skeptical of institutions in general. Uh, but beyond this anti-institutional bias across the board, the church really hasn't done itself any favors. You think about, like, the things that we've done that have been self-inflicted wounds. Yeah, I, I, what comes to mind is the Roman Catholic Church and the sex scandal there, or about how every other month there's a self-proclaimed family values evangelical who's discovered to have like a, some sort of a mistress on the side or a politician that claims to be family values that's conducting some sort of nefarious activity on the side. And so outsiders would look at the church and they would say, why would I want to be associated with a group like that? Why would I want to do that? The church is no different than anyone else. Like, there's a really famous quote by Gandhi, um, and it said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. But every once in a while, God the Holy Spirit creates a society that is really an alternative to the larger society. And every once in a while, we get to see that God, the Holy Spirit, creates a culture in contrast. And while, when, while it doesn't always happen, when it does happen, it's a really beautiful thing. And today we're going to explore what it looks like when the church gets a hold of something that God has, and when God gets a hold of the people in the church, and he creates a society that's different, a culture that's different than the surrounding culture. So I've called today's message, The Spirit-Built Church. Will you pray with me? All right. God, we thank you um, for today, and we thank you that we could be here. And uh, God, I ask that you would be with me as I speak, and that you would begin to speak to people in our audience, and uh, God, um, just help me to speak as I should, and, 
And uh, we really want to hear from you guys. We want to know how to be a church that actually works and how to be people that are connected to you and your power and your presence. So we give you this day and I give you this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're going to be looking at something from the book of Acts. Uh, Acts chapter 2, it's when the church was uh, started. And so we look at Acts chapter 2, verses uh, 42 through 47, it says this. They have devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, uh, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So in these verses, the Holy Spirit was given at the, at the time of Pentecost, and then God started to do something in the people of Jesus. They started to be changed, and these are some of the signs of things that were happening in the people. And so the first thing I want to point out, if we're going to have a spirit-filled church, the first thing we need to see is that a spirit-filled church is devoted to the Bible. We read in verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, right now, we live in a society which is pluralistic. What that means is that in the 21st century, people generally define truth as something that is subjective and personal. Uh, truth is never something which is universally valid for everyone in all places and all times. And each one of us has to work to construct our own version of the truth, our own meaning. And we need to find out through our life and our circumstances based on what our heart tells us to be true. Now, there's a, a paleontologist uh, who's taught for a number of years at Harvard. He's an evolutionary bio biologist. His name is Stephen J. Gold. He actually uh, he, he died an untimely death. But before he died, he said this. It's really interesting. He says, we are here because one odd group of fishes had a particular fin anatomy that could transform into legs for a terrestrial creature because comets struck the earth and wiped out dinosaurs, therefore by giving mammals a chance not otherwise available. We may yearn for a higher answer, but none exists. This explanation, though superficially troubling, if not terrifying, is ultimately liberating and exhilarating. We cannot read the meaning of life passively in the facts of nature. We must construct these answers for ourselves. So, in our modern society, this guy's really smart. I mean, they let him work at Harvard. you got to kind of be smart to do that. He says truth is something that we have to make up on our own. And so the result is a society where people just have a bunch of conflicting voices. For example, you turn on the TV, and there's TV political pundits who are screaming at each other all the time. Uh, like on TV. And then virtually when we go on Facebook, we see so many wonderful political opinions about what we should think and how we should vote. And I'm just, you know, it's just so wonderful to receive all those opinions every day. Uh, and everyone, you know, and everyone has, a, has the right to do this. There's nearly no basis for truth. There's no authority in contemporary society where one can appeal and say, hey, this is the way we need to think about this moral issue. Hey, this is the way we need to think about this human issue. And now the truth is, the reality is, that beside everyone's protests to truth, uh, everyone's saying, hey, we just get to make up truth, uh, what we think is right in our own eyes. Everyone needs to find meaning for themselves. Despite that reality, no one who has ever talked that way actually believes that. 
No one actually believes that everyone has the right to define right or wrong according to himself or according to herself. And if you've ever heard someone assert that, here's what you ask. Is there anyone, you say, person who thinks that there's really no way to define truth? Like, have you ever, has anyone, have, is there anyone in the world who is doing something right now that you think that they should stop doing despite how they feel about it? And if they're all honest with you and they're not playing philosophical games with you, they'll say, well, of course. Of course I don't really think people get to define right and wrong. Of course I don't think fathers should take advantage of children in a weird way. Of course I don't think that like, like a person should strap a bomb to their chest and then go into a crowded marketplace and blow up innocent people. Of course I don't think that. And then your response back to them was, well, then don't you actually believe that there's some sort of moral order to the universe? Don't you actually believe there's something outside of us that helps us to define what could be right or wrong? So something that we need to conform to besides what we personally think might be right or wrong? And this is what the Holy Spirit did when he created the church in Acts. He created a group of people who were devoted to the apostles' teaching. He, and we see this, their devotion to added, their attitude of devotion. The early church was gripped by the truth of Christ. They were gripped by the truth that the apostles were communicating to them. They, they gripped the truth and the truth gripped them. And so the early church, full of the Holy Spirit, was unlike so many Christians that we see today because they didn't think... They had a better idea about how to live life, or about how to do life. And today we read God's Word, and, uh, and we think that uh, we have a better idea. God's Word says, don't go into debt. And we shrug it off, and we say, oh no, going to debt is fine. I got, a, I got a good credit card, I can do it, I can go into debt, it's no big deal. Or we say, we know that God's Word says that you shouldn't hold a grudge or be bitter, that we need to forgive. And we say, no, it's okay. You know, you know, God doesn't realize what happened to me. I'm not going to forgive. I know better than God. I have a right to be bitter. I have a right not to forgive this person who hurt me or hurt the loved ones that I know. When we see that God's word even says, like, uh, we become like the people with whom we have our closest commitments. And we say, well, you know, it really doesn't matter if I connect myself with someone who isn't a Christian. In my dating relationships or in my marriage or... In my business partnerships, I think I can do okay. I'll be all right. I don't need to look at this. And the early church was different because they didn't see themselves as a group of individuals picking and choosing the things that they wanted to do and the things that they liked from the things that they didn't like. They surrendered themselves in mind and in heart to the apostles' teaching. They believed it came from God. But we also see that it's more than just the content of the disciples. What's more than just like their attitude of devotion, we see it's the content of what they believe. They actually believed in the content of Jesus. Uh, earlier in the uh, chapter, uh, which we didn't read before, um, it says this in verse 32 and 33. It says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses to the fact, exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Um, Jesus was not only crucified and resurrected and reigning in heaven, but he also from uh, he also gave us his Holy Spirit. And so we just don't believe that Jesus is somebody from the past. We believe that Jesus is here for today, who is present among us by his Spirit. And we can encounter Jesus, the same Jesus 
that we read about in the pages of the New Testament. We can see that Jesus wants to do something through his spirit in the church. And the content of the disciples' teaching was that there wasn't just their Jesus of their own imagination. Look at this in verse uh, 36. It says, Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. Uh, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now, this is crucial. I believe that the mark of the Holy Spirit in the church, and this is, uh, this is what created uh, a contrasting society between the church and the rest of society, between the Christian and the rest of the world. The church is different when it embraces Jesus Christ as Lord. An individual is different when the individual finally surrenders lordship of their life to Jesus. And you know, no one can be connected to Jesus Christ uh, apart from being Lord, apart from the Holy Spirit. Jesus as Lord. Do you know what I'm talking about here? Have you ever felt this in the core of your being? I'm tired of trying to do life on my own, God. I'm trying... So I'm tired of trying to create my own truth. I'm tired of trying to figure out life by myself. I truly want to surrender you to you and everything that I do. Jesus, I want you to be my master. Have you come to that place in your life? Are you living in that place right now? Because that is the difference between like what we believe culturally about Christianity and what the early church did. They believed that Jesus was Lord. So what difference does the Holy Spirit make when he comes into a church? Well, we see this in verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And uh, I would say this. It says, A spirit-filled church practices fellowship. Fellowship. What is fellowship? Um, last time I heard this used in popular culture, I think it was the fellowship of the ring, like the Lord of the Rings. Like, what is fellowship? Well, it's an elf and it's a... A dwarf and they have this magical ring you know so what does that actually mean well fellowship actually means uh it comes from the greek word koinonia koinonia and that actually comes from an old word called koinos which means sharing having things in common koinos sharing fellowship in the early church was not just a matter of sharing a piece of pie and a cup of coffee down in the fellowship hall uh, fellowship had to do with sharing your lives together Fellowship involves sharing. Look what it says in verse 44 to 46. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together and were glad and sincere hearts. They met together in these big meetings in the temple, what we would consider like this, this service. And they met in small meetings in house to house, the thing that we would call community groups. And so at every turn since we've launched Pacific City Church, We've tried to imitate what we see here in the New Testament. We gather for our large gatherings and we have worship and we have prayer time and we take communion and we hear from God's word. But these, these times that we have together, as amazing as they are, they are a place of fellowship. You actually can't really share with people here. Fellowship means sharing. Let me tell you, if you are a Jesus follower, you are not engaged in fellowship unless you share and sharing is more than just sharing common beliefs or common values. Fellowship is one Christian sharing with another Christian their secrets. It's sharing your problems. It's sharing childcare. It's sharing food. It's sharing resources. And it's even sharing spiritual gifts. And friends, let me talk to you about like, uh, like fellowship and like the idea of spiritual gifts. There's prophecy and there's healing and there's tongues. And there, we need someone to interpret tongues or else it's a big mess. And then uh, we have helping. And these gifts don't get to be shared in a large group of people. 
And the early church shared these gifts in little house churches of 30 to 40 people. And at the max, it was like 70 people. And so it's in these home fellowship groups, it's in these places that we call community groups that we can actually share our spiritual gifts with one another. And you can't be successfully transformed by participating in a large gathering. We can do some things, but we can't share life together. You can't deeply get to know other Christians, and they can't deeply get to know you. Uh, they can't get to know your families and your praises and your things that you like about your life and the things that your heart aches about unless you're with them in a smaller setting. And the only way I've ever seen Christians successfully grow is if they are deeply connected to other people in Christian fellowship. And that's why we press everyone in this church, every single one of you, every week, we want you to be connected to some sort of Christian group because that's the way that you will grow. Not only do we share fellowship with one another, uh, but we see that the early Christians shared money with each other. Um, they actually gave each other money. Uh, it says in verse uh, 44, it says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Now, they didn't give up all their private property. And if you want to read about that, you can read about it in Acts chapter 4. But they were incredibly generous. And they literally gave money uh, to each other. Now, I believe that uh, generosity begins with the tithe, which according to the Bible, a tithe is 10% of your income. And I'm not, as the pastor of this church, ashamed to ask you or encourage you to give financially to Pacific City Church. If you consider yourself to be a part of this church, if this is your church home, then basically, in order for me to be faithful to what the scriptures say, I have to say to you, I give generously to the church. And if you, can see, if you believe in the church, you believe in what we're doing, where we're going, if you're moved by the stories, if God is doing something in you, then what we do is we give generously. And um, that's how it works. Generosity begins with the tithe. And what I have to say about generosity is this. Like, generosity is easy when the Holy Spirit helps us to do it. Remember, this talk is about a Spirit-filled church. Holy Spirit creates generosity. And you can tell when the Holy Spirit... Is present because, uh, and when you can tell when the Holy Spirit is doing things in people's lives, because their their lives begin to be marked by generosity. And while generosity begins with a tithe, it doesn't end there. That's not the that's not the ceiling. That's the floor. You see, like part of this fellowship is that we get to share resources of all kinds with each other. We also see that a spirit-filled church spends much time in worship and prayer. Look at verse forty-two. It says. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Uh, these, idea, uh, these days, it is not hard to get people to go out and to do a bunch of things. There's a lot of activism in our world. Go make a difference with your life. Uh, you know, seize the day. You know, the whole thing. Every graduate receives some sort of commencement speech. Where we're, you know, it's like you just got to go out and do something significant. And, and late Steve Jobs would say, I'm going to go out and make a dent in the universe. And um, what we see here is something a little different. Talk about a contrasting society. Of course the Holy Spirit wants us to go out and do stuff. He wants us to share our lives. He doesn't want just to hog everything that we have in this room. But there's a wonderful balance between, like, our activity and, the, and, and something else. The Holy Spirit creates a different kind of community. God calls his people to extended times of worship and prayer. 
It says that the early church was devoted to this. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread literally means, if you translate it back to the Greek, it literally means breaking of bread. And here I think Luke is talking about the Lord's Supper. It's the church joining together around the Lord's table, which we just took, which we just took together. And you know, so much of our contemporary life, it seems to rest on human activities. And this is why I think there's so many churches that are worn out, they're dried out, they're burned out. And are you, are you burned out on church? <laughs> I am. <laughs> Not this one. Uh, the idea of church. Are you burned out on religious activities? I get it. I get it. And I want to suggest to you that no amount of activity that we can put into this church or any other church will replace the energy that comes from simply coming before God and allowing our time of worship to fill us with something bigger than ourselves. It is bigger than just us just from, you know, setting up this and doing that. And blah, blah, blah. It's got to be something bigger. In fact, no amount of socializing in a church can replace what only worshiping God can do. And it's very possible that we could get caught up and we can, uh, with other people and fellowship all the time, and we can actually miss out uh, on Jesus in the process. And even at the early stages of Pacific State Church, even before we launched, we have been building a community that was really focused on being together, life together, working together. And so Pacific, uh, Pacific State Church, when we started, like I said, this is our only sixth service, but since the beginning, even before our launch, we've tried to build an amazing community. And so we've had people like sharing their lives with each other. Patrick Vukovic, where, uh, he did the announcements, he had the great beard. Um, he like organizes hikes for us. He pulls people together. We've got people like Scott and Taylor Kellogg. Even before we launched, they threw a rager of a party in Santa Monica, and I went and I raged, and it was great. <laughs> and some of you raged with me, and we left. We were like, "Yep, well, all right, this is happening. We are a community." And um, you know, we have Lucy and Jesse. Uh, they're married. Um, we together as a married couple, we call them Juicy, and. Uh, <laughs> And like every week I hear about how they're like doing something uh, with people at their house. And it's really, or their apartment. It's really great. So we've always been and prioritized uh, like community. And for years, uh, Nikki and I have thrown lots of parties, lots of gatherings. We've had a couple of people over now and again. We've gone on a few couple days. All that is great. But worship is something different because it's something unique. And I remember the first time I ever came to a vineyard worship service. And I remember losing track of what God was uh, doing in the room in worship. I just remember, like, like, I know that the worship was on the screens, and I know that there was a person who was leading it, but there was something going on in my heart. And it felt like the Spirit of God was talking to me. And I felt like, like I was going to cry. And like I felt like these emotions flooding me. And I'm like, you're here, God. And you're like talking to me about specific things in my life. And it's all in worship. And I'm fighting back the tears because I'm a really tough guy. <laughs> I'm so tough, I can lift 100 pounds over my head. For a while. <laughs> and it doesn't even, I don't even break a sweat. And so, and so here I am, I'm fighting back the tears, and it's my girlfriend who's now my wife, and we have a kid that worked out. Um, and like I'm like, yeah, dude, this is so good. We should come back. 
And like, it felt like I was underwater forever, and finally I could pop up and I could breathe again. The Spirit of God was doing something more than me just singing the songs and trying to fit in the room. And I felt loved by God, I felt a little intimidated, I felt a little nervous, but as I learned to worship, I learned to spiritually breathe again. And friends, if you learn to worship too, as you give yourself to God, and you open your hearts up to worship, you will absolutely be living a life that's contrasted from the rest of the society. Um, it says here that they uh, gave themselves to the Lord's table, but they also gave themselves in, uh, to prayer. They prayed a lot. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking bread into prayer. They came together and they prayed. They prayed together together. They prayed together privately. And have you ever wondered why the early church saw so much cool stuff happening? How, how are so many people converted? Why in such a hostile environment where like the Roman Empire was like running your country? Why were Christians able to grow and like take over in like 400 years? What we see in the book of Acts is that the early church was constantly praying. They were praying for fresh power. They were praying for fresh power from God. They were praying for open doors for the gospel. They were praying for healing. They were praying for direction. The Apostle Paul in his letters, he can't even get like one paragraph. He's like, oh, by the way, I've been praying for you. Why was so much stuff happening in the early church? It's because the early church was directed by the Holy Spirit to pray. Nothing is more conspicuous in the life of our Lord. And nothing is more conspicuous in the life of a Christian or a disciple of Jesus than frequency of prayer. And do you want to know why the early church doesn't look like the church in the, in the Bible, the one we read in Acts? I have an inkling it has something to do with our lack of praying. We are not tied to the Spirit's power. We have to be tied to the Spirit's power. And if you want to see things happen in your life, if you want to see things happen like they saw in the early church, you and I must be committed to pray. We pray. We pray when times are good. When we pray when times are bad, we pray when we feel like it, and we pray when we don't. Spending time communicating with God and hearing from God when we pray. It's both. It's not just us talking to God. It's God talking to us. It's essential if we want to see the work of God in our life. If we want to see the work of God in our church. A spirit-filled church worships and prays. But we also see that there's more that happens. Look in verse 43. It says, Everyone was filled with awe in the mighty wonders and signs performed by the apostles. It says, A spirit-filled church depends on God. That's what I see. So, um, I like to read. Uh, and I read a lot about church stuff. Uh, and I read a lot about, like, from so-called church experts. They're wonderful human beings. They've given their life to sell me stuff about church. And I get it. And I gotta say, a lot of what I read is supposed to be the latest and greatest that will make church great again. You know, hey, church is in decline, one and eight are none, you know, oh, this will make our church great. This will, this will make our churches great again. Now, I'm not opposed uh, to advice. I'm not opposed to things like marketing. A lot of you are here because we marketed to you. Um, you know, I'm not, um, I'm not against using technology like social media. You know we're on social. Uh, hit me up, C. Meekins. <laughs> However, I am, and I will always be against relying on technology 
relying on human technique, and replacing our dependence on God uh, for some cheap church pro tip. We're not going to do it. The early church, um, let me say this right, the early church drew in people because the early church saw miracles. Everyone else has technology. Everyone else has been marketed to death. But everyone in society hasn't seen miracles. Miracles are something that the apostles did a long time ago. But not only that, miracles are something, they are a gift that has been given to the church today. And so, Los Angeles, I'm here to tell you that Los Angeles doesn't need another cool church. Los Angeles needs a church that is full of miracles. Do you agree with me? Do you understand? You, like, we need a church that's full of miracles, okay? Like, as far as, I mean, as, as, as I've gotten to know some of you, I've seen some amazing stories. Some of you have been healed by the power of God. You've, you've seen a miracle in your life. You were sick, and now you're better. Someone you love had a medical condition, and that medical condition is gone. Why? Because there was a miracle that took place by the power of God. Uh, some of you were addicted, and you were as good as dead. And God pulled you out of that addiction. I've heard your stories. I know it's true. My life was in shambles. I couldn't figure it out. I was addicted. I was in these bad ways. And God pulled me up out of that terrible situation. And now I'm free to love him. I'm free from my addictions. He's brought healing and wholeness. He's given me new relationships and new hope for the future. These are things that have been said to me in the last six weeks. And I'm telling you, I have been a Christian for a long time. I have, and i got to tell you, friend, it doesn't get old. Miracles never get old. And I continue to be completely blown away by the generosity of God, by the power of His Spirit, because He is committed to His people to do miraculous things. Not only in the church abroad, not only in like places that believe in the Holy Spirit more, like in Africa, but like here, like today. Like he wants to do miracles in us. And if you want our church to look like the rest of society, that's fine. This isn't the church for you. But if you want our church to look different from the rest of society, then we've got to start praying to God. And we need to ask him to deliver miracles. And I, what I want you to do is I don't want you to stop praying until it happens. And I promise you, I will be with you on that day when it starts to happen. Because that's going to be an exciting day for you in your walk with God. When God starts to do miracles in you, you're going to be like, can't stop, won't stop. Can't stop, won't stop. You're going to be God on your day off. You're going to be going up to people and you're not going to slap them. This isn't a Benny Hinn exercise. Boom! You're not going to do that. But you're going to be like, hey, can I pray for you? And God's going to finally heal someone through you. You're like, yes, this is the early church. And the reason we feel like nothing's happening in the church because nothing's happening. We've missed out on the power of the Spirit, and that's the mark of the early church, and that's the mark of a spirit filled church. Amen. A spirit filled church uh, practices good news. You know, I mean, I think we could figure that out. Um, if you heal someone, like, it seems like it's pretty good news, right? But um, there's so much bad news out there. If you want to be depressed, uh, I encourage you uh, after my talk, not during my talk, just scroll through your news feed on your phone, and you'll see some depressing news. And if you have a television and you haven't cut the cord, you can turn on cable news, and you'll see, like, there's terrible things happening. There is a mass shooting, like, every single week in this country, like, all the time. 
People are getting shot at, and we have to see that. And every morning is unique, because every morning we get to wake up, and we get to hear this really unique story about how the left and the right, they don't really like each other. Like, it's this new idea. Oh, yeah, they really seem to hate each other. And every day we get to wake up, and we get to look at Facebook, and I'm just convinced if a few more of you put your political opinions on Facebook, it'll finally be the tipping point, and we can finally, you know, oh, fine, okay, we can finally hear what you have to say. Okay, cool, you changed my mind. Let me just tell you, no one's mind was ever changed on Facebook, no matter how many opinions you put out there, uh, and how many things you believe about, you know, vaccinations and all that. No one's mind has ever changed on Facebook. And, like, and it's all kind of related around, like, bad news. And so, you know, it, it's just, you know, it's not just that. It's, there's a lot of civil unrest in our society. No, but there's not just bad news out here. There's bad news, like, in here, in our personal lives. I mean, people experience, like, pretty bad personal news. There's a romantic breakup. There's a divorce here. You hear of someone who lost their job. Uh, the surprise news of a brain tumor. Hey, surprise. You have a brain tumor. Oh, that's, that's terrible. And the difference the Holy Spirit makes is that he creates good news people. A people that believe in their hearts that there's still a reason to hope and there's still a reason to believe. Now listen, the early church, it wasn't perfect. But that's not what made it different from the rest of society. The early church was not a church without sin. The early church was a church that had hope because their sins were forgiven. And the early church wasn't a church without divisions. The early church was a church that practiced reconciliation despite their divisions. And the early church wasn't a church without suffering and without a cross. The early church was a church that was able to embrace suffering and embrace the cross because it also embraced the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's from this warm center that the early church was propelled out into society. And they began to see the rest of society transformed. The truth that gripped the church was so compelling. It was so loving. It was so powerful. There, there were so many prayers that were so powerful. The worship was so attractive. The miracles were so awe-inspiring that it was infectious. People got infected. And from this hot center, it says, in verse 47, it says, Praising God and enjoying all the favor of the people, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. God, by the Holy Spirit, creates this vortex with people that really aren't that good at being the church. They had the divisions, they had the problems, but he creates this vortex that pulled people into the church. And the people of the church went out and they literally changed the world. Before the church, the world looked a lot different than it does now. It is different because of the church. And that's because the Holy Spirit stirred things up. It was the Holy Spirit's activity. So, what do you want? Do you want that? Do you want your life to be attractive? Do you want your life to stand for something more than your last three social media posts? I didn't mean to yell at you that hard. I'm just saying, you know. Do you, do you want your life to be contrasted with the rest of society? Do you want to become a leader who's worth following in this church and at work and with your family? Well, here's what I know to be true for you. Los Angeles doesn't need a cooler you. 
It doesn't need a skinnier you or a more fit you. While I do believe in exercise, that's not exactly what it needs. We don't need this or that. LA doesn't need their LA needs you to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And your life needs to be marked with miracles. And your life needs to be marked with power. Everywhere you go, everyone you touch, everything you do needs to be marked by the power of God doing something in you, which is way better than you whipping yourself up into a frenzy and pretending to be spiritual. Because when you whip yourself up and pretend to be spiritual, it's it, like we can all tell, but it actually doesn't work. You look ridiculous. But the Holy Spirit, when we're calm, one of our values here is being naturally supernatural. When we're just calm and we welcome his power, he does stuff. And that's what LA needs from you. They don't need you to be cooler. And so when we do this, when we start to do this, I promise you, you're going to see new things in your life. And you're going to do, and we're going to see new things in this church, and we will see new things in our city. Will you stand with me? I'm going to pray.